All right. So, in connection with my office getting worked on and lots of things going on, uh, I'm not sure where my paper went that I took notes on two weeks ago. So what I'm going to do is we're just going to briefly go through the first three paragraphs of our church covenant, and I'll jot down the notes that would be similar to the ones that I had before. And then we'll go through the last two paragraphs, and then we'll look at this uh, biblical covenant. And then depending how much time we have, I have some samples of other church covenants, and I thought we could read through them and kind of look and see what are some common features or characteristics that other churches have included in their church covenant so we can think through how is that same, how is that different from ours, and which things we might want to include as well. So, uh, take your sheet that's sideways like this, uh, the one that says, let's evaluate our ch current church covenant. And so let me just read through the first paragraph there where it says, current ABC church covenant, and uh, listen to it, let me know which things you think are clear, unclear, and so forth. Having been led, as we believe, by the Spirit of God to receive the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior, and on the profession of our faith, having been baptized in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, we do now in the promise of God, angels, and this assembly, most solemnly and joyfully enter into covenant with one another as one body in Christ. So just to review, I think some of the things we talked about last time were this idea of having been led as we believe by the Spirit of God. That, that wording might be a little bit unclear or confusing to people who are not from a church background. So it might be helpful to say something more along the lines of having believed in Christ as the only way of salvation, something along those lines, having been gathered into one church body, we make the following commitment, something like that. I mean, that's kind of, as I recall, the gist of uh, where we were laying in that first paragraph. Paul and, and others, do you remember? Okay. Sure. Uh, when you say three bullets, can you expand on that? Well, it's like the, uh, you know, like you said, the first one, you say, having been led as we believe by the Spirit of God, you know, uh, I forget the wording you came up with off the top of Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll still keep looking for the paper. But, uh, but just the idea of salvation. And then the second one would be the idea of joined in the church. Having been baptized, I mean. Okay. And then the third one would be the idea of commitments or, what was the other word we used? It wasn't commitments, it was uh, promises, maybe something along those lines. What's that? Yeah, as it says right now, it says we joyfully enter into covenant with one another. And um, we'll talk more about that when we get to the other sheet about the biblical covenants. Second one, we engage, therefore, by the aid of the Holy Spirit to forsake the paths of sin, walk in the ways of holiness all the days of our lives. This is down toward the bottom of that first column. To walk together in Christian love, to strive for the advancement of this church 
in knowledge, holiness, and comfort to promote its spirituality and prosperity. Remember, Paul, you weren't a fan of the word spirituality. And we thought prosperity could be misunderstood today, too. <laughs> uh, to sustain its worship, ordinances, discipline, and doctrine. To contribute cheerfully and regularly to the support of its ministry, the expenses of the church, the relief of the poor, the spread of the gospel through all nations. So the two key ideas from this one would basically be this idea of a commitment to sanctification and the idea of a commitment to the support of the church's mission. And probably the big question mark with the church's mission, as I recall from our discussion, would be what are the most important things of all those things that are listed? Should some of them be removed? For example, the relief of the poor is something that we don't necessarily do on a consistent basis. The passage, which we'll see when we get to some of the other church covenants later or next week, the passages that some people use to support that are passages that Jesus addressed largely in context to the Israelites. And so I'm not sure that we should put, at least based on that verse, put that at the same level as preach the gospel to all nations. In other words, the relief of the poor would be something that would flow out of faith. It's not something that's the main point or the object of faith. And that's where I think a lot of churches today get their priorities mixed up in an honest, some of them in an honest desire to see people saved, say, how can we connect with people? Let's do things to meet their needs. Sometimes the meeting of needs takes priority over the preaching of the gospel. Or, even for those who say, well, the preaching of the gospel is far more important, there's still this tendency for other things to rise to the same level of importance and eventually drown out the preaching of the gospel. Case in point would be the church that I grew up in had a Christmas gift giveaway. And the original idea sounded like it was going to be you come in, you pick out Christmas gifts because you can't afford to buy them for your kids, and then, you know, we, we welcome you, we maybe talk to you a little bit before you go, that sort of thing. And if I recall correctly, which it's been a long time, it morphed into a thing where it was pretty much come get your presents and then go. Like there's no, like any organization can do that. And it's a great thing to do, but it's not a specifically Christian thing to do. And so that's always my fear that in a desire to do things that are good, things that may even be, as James has pointed out, demonstrations of genuine faith that you care about the people around you, sometimes we, we, we're always got this sort of draw to care about the things that we can immediately see more than the things that are, you can't touch and feel like the state of their soul. And I, we just have to be careful of that. So... I'm going to put the word priority because I think that's the thing that we have to figure out about those last phrases in the second paragraph. Any other thoughts on that? I'm All right. Yeah, yeah. Maybe to clarify that this is, you know, either say and the spread of the gospel and stop there, or say the spread of the gospel locally and around the world and maybe expound on that a little bit. Okay. Sure, sure. What about support of mission 
something like that instead of the nations or around the world? Right. You know, but like we have limited resources. Right. We don't send them throughout the nation. Is that part of our church covenant that we send our missionaries? Or is it part of our covenant that we spread the gospel locally and, you know, and more as we have ability? Sure. And so if we think about. And, and this is where I think, and I didn't bring a sheet with me, but I could pull it up in a minute if we needed to clarify. This is where I think our statement of faith ought to connect closely with this. So in our statement of faith, we say, you know, what are the core functions of the church? Personal and public worship, evangelism locally and globally, um, which we maybe call evangelism and missions is how we've often looked at it, ministry and fellowship, and then the last one would be something along the lines of teaching and discipleship. So those are the things that we're trying to accomplish in the church, and those are the things that I think we ought to be committed to doing, because if they're in the statement of faith and we say we believe them, those ought to be the things that we're committed to doing. And so probably what we would try to do is, is just kind of bring the wording of this a little bit more in line with the way it's worded in the statement of faith, and then, you know, not that we're being redundant, but we're just saying the statement of faith is what we believe, the church covenant is what we are committing to act on. So, yes, Sandy. Yeah, I mean, I guess the only, the only thing I would say in terms of order of priority, um, there are examples of sacrificial giving in the New Testament that seem to place a priority on supporting God's work. Not to say that your family should starve, but I know there's a lot of times in our family where we've done things and we could say, you know what, if it was a choice between supporting the work of the church and, you know, eating out or doing this other thing, there's things, and, and not, there are cases sometimes when generally it's like paycheck to paycheck, and you may have to say, you know, it doesn't look how, like I can afford, and, and in those cases, I mean, I think the principle of 2 Corinthians 8 9 would come in, which is there's times when people are in difficulty, and there's times when people are in abundance, and there's supposed to be this ongoing ebb and flow of God's blessing, people's generosity, and all those other sort of things working together so that basic needs are met. So, in terms of priority, there are some people who are like, you give, and, and a lot of times this comes into people's perspective on tithing, you give to the church no matter what. And 
I don't know that you can make that an absolute command just based on what the New Testament says. I do think in our culture we tend to swing the other way, which is let's give as little to God as possible because we'd rather spend it on things that we would like to do. So there's a, there's a, there's a balance between those things. But as far as generally speaking, what's our priority? It's family, it's church, it is uh, Christian things that might not necessarily be, and this is where I, there, it, there's a little bit of tension in me. So there are organizations outside a church that are not a church that we could call parachurch organizations. And sometimes those are doing good things. And the ones that I would be most comfortable supporting individually or as a church would be those that are overseen by or closely tied to specific churches. For example, um, there's, uh, I think I mentioned a couple weeks ago, there's like a, a women's shelter in Pontiac. I would be more in favor of supporting them than I would be saying, let's write a check to the Salvation Army. Or even take it a step further than that, let's write a check to the United Way. Are all of those groups potentially doing good things? Yes, but I think our priority needs to be placed on those that are closer to the local church. Is that? Yeah. Yeah. That's my family bond, that's my church, or the people of my church may not meet, whether it's food, clothes, right. know, whatever. And after that, I don't have anything. Right, right, right. And, and to bring it back to the passage in James where it talks about visiting orphans and widows in their distress, think about the context in Israel. That was not a command for the Israelites to help every orphan and every widow across the world. That was a command for them in their nation to take care of their people. I think that there's probably a precedent for that with what James says later about if a brother or a sister is in need. Now Paul says in Galatians, do good to all the people, especially those of the household of faith. But the bottom line is, if you only have enough to help those of the household of faith and you don't have enough to help everybody else, the reality is poverty is not a problem you and I can individually solve. That doesn't mean that we ignore it. That doesn't mean that we're selfish. There's just a lot of factors coming into all these things that we have to be wise about. And we have to remember what the priority is. So in terms of the church's budget, there's a lot of things that we can spend our money on. We have a building. We have various programs. We have, um, what other things do we have? Um, Right, right, right. So if we want to break down the building, we've got utilities, we've got paper, printing costs, you know, yeah, repairs. And then if we said programs, we've got, you know, a Wednesday night kids program, we've got other curriculum, we've got, if we do some kind of event, we might have food costs. Um, these, what's that? Right. So these are the things that tend to suck up a lot of the church's money. 
Um, other things would be, yeah, so we've got missionaries. We've got, um, you guys pay me. <laughs> um, so the question is, which things connect most closely to the things the church is supposed to be and do? So for example, and we had this discussion last week, if we spent $7,000 over the next few years on copiers, and we said, you know what, we're going to spend, and we're not, we're spending way more than this, but if we were a church in a position where we spent 1000 on missionaries and 7000 on copier costs, there's something wrong, right? Because of the order of priority. Um, now, can this support something like evangelism? Sure. And can this tie in here and this tie in here and they all support this? Yes. But it's really easy to let the supporting things become the priority. And so, you know what, there, there have been different people who have had different ideas. They said, let's do this thing or that thing. And I've tried to, in the last year, if we've talked about those sorts of things, I've tried to say and at least think about personally and encourage you to think about, and not that we've had a ton of these discussions, we have to say, what is the wisest use of our resources to maximize what we have to accomplish the important things like evangelism, like missions, like discipleship. And, you know, things support these. We just have to make sure the supports don't become the emphasis. And that's so many times in churches, um, especially churches that have been around for a long time, or churches that are large. These are things that happen. We're going to keep doing this program because we've always done it. VBS would be a case in point. We haven't done VBS the last few years. Part of the reason for not doing VBS is trying to say, what's the most effective use of our resources? Let me, let me throw out another one. And this one may step on some toes, but I'm just trying to illustrate it. Just for sake of illustration, I was thinking about this because uh, Corey gave me something to listen to. I'm working on trying to think through what we can do for our Christmas service this fall. First of all, do we have 20 people to do a full-fledged Christmas cantata? Not really. So even if we did, we'd have to ask ourselves this question. If it was 20 people spending an hour each week for 12 weeks, how many people hours is that? Man hours is that? 20 times 12. So call it 240 hours. Now, I'm not saying we won't practice music. Don't get me wrong. But what I am saying is, if we spend 240 hours for one event, but we spend no hours on a consistent basis for this throughout the rest of the year, Again, we just got to think through our, our structure, our priorities, and, and all of those sorts of things. And so my goal with the church covenant, to bring it back to that, is let's say what are the things that we are supposed to be and do as a church according to the New Testament, and always be asking ourselves the question, does this ministry opportunity, does this uh, whatever else, does it support the structure or the thing God says we have to do as a church. So, 
hopefully that's that's helpful to put some of that into perspective just from where I'm coming from, hopefully where we're all coming from. All right, third paragraph. Yes, sorry, that was a long, that was a long answer, but it was a helpful springboard. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think what you're saying is right, but I think um, I was just trying to explain the priority of what we're trying to do at the church, and then that is reflected somewhat in our individual priorities as well. Yes? So there are a lot of good ministries, like, for example, I listen to uh, Dr. McGee's programs on the radio. So that would be like uh, an extra thing that if you had extra money, you would support. Yeah. But it's a parachurch ministry. I, and I, my response to that would be along the same lines. The more closely connected it is to a local church, the more comfortable I would be with supporting it. And in terms of our priority, like with this, what am I going to spend my money on individually? House, food, all of these other sorts of things. And so if I'm doing all the things I'm supposed to do as an individual believer, as a husband, a wife, whatever, and I say, you know what, I have this money, and it's a question of whether I'm going to um, buy a new tool for my garage or support this, this ministry. I don't think there's necessarily a right or wrong answer on which way you spend your money, you know? Um, if it's a question of whether I'm going to feed my family or support this ministry, that's, <laughs> that's a different sort of a thing. If it's a question of I'm going to support this ministry but it means I have to work 80 hours this week instead of 70 hours, and I can't be in the church services. I can't. I mean, there's a lot of factors that go into it. But I don't think it's wrong to support parachurch ministries. I just think, in terms of priority, it would be church and needs of people in the church and some of those things probably before the parachurch organization. Funny thing about that, um, I've had family members who were both encouraged by and very infatuated with certain of those organizations, things they listened to on the radio, programs they watched on TV, and they really wanted to support that ministry and they wanted to buy all the books and all those sorts of things. The irony is you put a lot of your money in something, you feel like you've got a connection. And the reality is there's not really a connection there. You don't know that person just because you buy their stuff. You don't know the people who organize that program just because they listen to it, they don't know you. And that's, I think, something that's lacking sometimes when people think, well, you know, why do I need to go to church? I can just sit at home and I've got this connection with these, you're, you're watching, you're not really connected with them. And again, it's not bad. There's tons of resources out there. John MacArthur and John Piper and all these other sorts of people, there's really good resources out there and we can make use of them and I don't care if you listen to them. But if you're listening to them and not coming to church, again, you're missing that connection with fellow believers. And so, um, does that answer your question? I'm not trying to just run in circles, but okay. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Sure. And, uh, well, and I would, I would say that 
you can also pull up the sermons from here on the website. And if you want notes from things, I'm happy to provide those for you guys. You know, there's, there's, there's things that we can do better to keep you connected when you're not here due to illness or other things. And that's something that I want to keep working on. Um, uh, it's just a practical reality of, you know, I, I may want to, for example, um, get a church bulletin to the Whitworths every Sunday. I'm not saying it's a mandate. I'm just saying that might be an example of something. But that takes time, you know. Who's got to mail it, got to package it up, got to get it together. If one of you said, you know what, that's my ministry. I want to encourage the Whitworths. I'm going to send them notes every week. I would be very happy about that. But we just have to kind of say, you know, how do we, how do we organize all those sorts of things? And so, again, the priority is gathering. When we're not able to gather, this is something that I thought about a lot when I was ministering to older saints who couldn't get out anymore and lived in an assisted living facility. How are they connected with a local church? One of the things we did was a weekly Bible study. And the practical reality was, although I don't think they necessarily ever called me this, I was pastoring them through that Bible study, even though they weren't all necessarily members of our church. They would be sick and they would miss the Bible study. I would give them a phone call. I'd go knock on their door. I'd say, how are you doing? You know, those sorts of things. And I think, um, you know, that's something that I should do for you guys when you are not here. And I'm trying to do that. And then those are things that you all can do for one another in terms of caring for one another. And so, uh, which actually, jump down to the fourth paragraph because this ties in well. We engage to watch over one another in brotherly love, to remember each other in prayer, to aid each other in sickness and distress, to cultivate Christian sympathy and feeling and courtesy and speech, to be slow to take offense, but always ready for reconciliation and mindful of the rules of our Savior to secure it without delay. Um, there's, uh, there was this idea among the uh, Puritans called the care of souls. Um, and this concept, I think, is kind of the forerunner to a biblical approach to counseling that we've seen more interest in in the last 30 to 40 years. But fellows, uh, some, of the, some of them like Thomas Bridges, and I'm, I'm not remembering some of the other names, but they basically said, you know, it, was, it is essential for the pastor and for the congregation to minister to one another's needs. Um, and we're spoiled today. We don't have to get on horseback and ride for 20 miles to go to where someone lives, you know? Um, and, and, you know, we think... Our church is spread out. Some people live half hour, 40 minutes from the church. But, again, you know, it's not that much of a sacrifice to get in an air-conditioned car and drive that distance or to go see people at the hospital. And so, if you all have things going up, keep me informed about them because I don't see it as a burden to drive up to Beaumont, Troy, I see it as part of what I'm supposed to be doing. And I don't think most of the people in the church see it as a burden to call somebody on the phone. They see it as part of our normal care for one another. And so I think our church covenant needs to reflect some of those sorts of ideas, that we care for one another, 
this paragraph, I think the main ideas are caring for one another, which includes watching, praying, helping, and we could kind of put in parentheses this idea of love. And then the second thing is unity. If you look at the last part there, um, to be slow to take offense but ready for reconciliation, there's this idea of unity, which a bit uh, kind of boils down to solving problems biblically. Um, there's more to it than that, but uh, something I've noticed when I've looked at these different church covenants is there's a lot of them that have something in there about, you know, here's our process for dealing with problems. How do we deal with problems apart from Christ? We sulk, we get angry, we say, I'm not going to talk to the person anymore, we leave. I mean, there's a lot of wrong ways to deal with problems, but there are right ways to deal with problems, and part of that is coming back to kind of the opening paragraph of our statement of faith. Why do we believe all these things? Why do we have them written out? Because we want to have unity around doctrine. And then we should also have unity with one another. And that doesn't mean we always like each other. Even if even your own family does things that upset you and irritate you, they're still family. And that's the thing that I think sometimes is lacking in the church. We treat it like a Sam's Club membership more than like a family reunion, you know? And uh, so that's something to think about. Uh, going back to the third paragraph. That's a good question. What do you think? Right. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, okay. And tonight we're going to look at James 3. James 3 has a lot to say about how we talk to one another. So, yes. Yeah, there's a there's a part of us that doesn't want to admit that th that we're wrong, but it's good for us to admit when we're wrong, not in a not in an I'm admitting my wrongs so that I get you to feel it, not in a manipulative way, and I'm not saying that's what you're saying, but just uh, it's humbling to have to say I did wrong, but if we don't ever say that, then we either give people a false impression or we're not dealing with our sin like we should. So that's a good point. Mm -hmm. it's, uh, so often we 
we did something wrong. Yeah. We just said something wrong, we offended somebody. And then when it comes to mind that he did that, we go to that person and say, Hey, I'm really sorry I did this. Can you forgive me? And they go, Yeah, whatever. Yeah. Or yeah, okay, so don't worry about it. And that's the worst thing you can do in that church because I mean you're not really forgiving. I mean, there's no closure there. Right. That's a good point. Only twice, but yeah, but they were bad, both of them. And then I, I mean, after she left, said, "Hey, I'm really sorry. I didn't mean to do that." Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But it's not okay. Right. Yeah. I mean, and, and I understand, you know, she's not trying to overemphasize it. Right. And she's not saying, "Hey, listen, you're destroying my life by you doing that." Right. But by the same token, it's just there's no closure there. And I think probably it's helpful for us to think about God's attitude towards sin. We tend to think of culturally, we tend to think of God as like the grandparent. You can do whatever you want, you know? You're over here. Dad and Mom may make you follow rules, but you can eat all the ice cream and the candy and the whatever. But that's not the way God is towards sin. God sent Jesus because he couldn't say it was okay. So, yeah, that's a good point. So the third paragraph there. Um, so there are, there's this idea of the Bible being a priority in our lives. Uh, we had a discussion about whether we should say the word devotions or not. I think it is not a bad word. We have this idea of being devoted to God, but just afraid the word devotions tends to be a more shallow concept and we're looking for something a little bit of a deeper commitment to God's word. Yeah, right. Um, instead of walk circumspectly, there's this idea of live godly lives, um, considering our testimony before the lost, uh, this idea of integrity, um, the tattling, backbiting, and excessive anger probably needs to go under this idea of unity in the fourth paragraph, because I think it may fit in better there. Um, instead of this about the sale, manufacture, use of intoxicating drinks as a beverage, probably the bigger thing would be um, something about exercising fruit of the spirit, including self-control. Because I think that's really the number one issue because we talked about this before. If you don't ever drink but you do drugs or you don't ever drink but you behave in a gluttonous fashion or you don't ever drink but you list off the other sin that we generally think is okay in a Baptist church, we need to recognize it so we should be exercising the fruits of the Spirit. 
uh, the being zealous in our efforts to advance the kingdom of our Savior. Um, I'm not sure where that would fit, maybe in the paragraph before, but I think the idea is something along the lines of not just that like the church does this, but like connecting the idea that as a member of the church, I'm individually doing this. And in the same way that some people may be more gifted in hospitality or teaching or whatever else, some people may be more gifted in evangelism, but we all have a responsibility to do it, and we want to make sure that connection is clear. Uh, and then the last paragraph is kind of, again, coming back to this idea that it's not a warehouse club membership. I opt in, I opt out, it's no big deal, but it's a family. If you're going to move away from your family, it's kind of a big deal. And you need another, <laughs> you need family near you. Um, along these lines, I have seen people who have said, you know what, yeah, I'll, 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 I'll get connected to a church when I move for this job. But they don't have that figured out before they move, and they don't get connected to a church, or they can't find a good church. That has to be a lot higher in the priority list before how much am I going to get paid and is this going to help my career along. And so I don't want any of you guys to go. But if you do go, you need to make sure there's a good church before you go or a body of believers that's ready to start one. I mean, that's the bottom line. And if there's not, you need to think about, is this the right decision? And so, um, so this I, and, and this is, I think, where it ties into some of the things that I hope to see changing in our bylaws. If somebody finds a good church and that church contacts us and says, hey, we'd like to add this person as a member, and we say, yeah, they were a great member here, then yes, we can transfer their membership. But if they say, hey, we want to add them as a member, and we're like, well, we don't really know if they're still a member here, that's not a position that we want to be in. And so um, just trying to think through practically what does that look like so we don't go over to this edge of you miss a week, you're out. Well, that's not usually where churches are at. It's more like, you haven't been here in three years. We don't know where you live. We can't get a hold of you, but your name is still on the list. And, and the biblical balance is somewhere in the middle of we recognize that there are things that prevent people from assembling, whether it be illness or, or other things, and we accommodate that. But we also make it clear that it's a two-way street. You can't say I'm a member of the church, but I don't want to ever be connected with the church because there's no practical oversight that I can do to fulfill the accountability I'm going to have to give before God and there's no practical reality of like you know being a part of the same body so I think I think that last paragraph is good to have something in there about you know if we leave we're going to find another good church and while we're here we're going to be actively involved in the church and I think that second part may not be there I mean, it's kind of there implied in the rest of it, but it might be good to spell it out, uh, this idea of being actively involved while a member. And then I think that ties into some of the other things as well. All right, any other thoughts on these paragraphs as we kind of wrap up here? Yes. Mm-hmm.
covenant with someone else. Is that part of the covenant, or is that really what? Okay, I'll think about that. Yeah. Yeah, and then I think that comes into the idea if it's a marriage, it's not like, well, you know, if I have to move away from this marriage, I'll go marry someone else good. You know, I mean, that's kind of what, and that's where I think I'm hesitant about the word covenant in connection with this because while a connection with the church should be a solid and a deep one, it doesn't rise to quite the same level as a marriage covenant or as God's covenant with Abraham, which we didn't get to, <laughs> um, because people move and lots of other things. So I think that's why we should say these are promises or commitments. And if we say promises or commitments, I can commit that if I ever leave here, I will find a good job. So then I th that might be part of the answer, but it's something to think about. Yeah. Yeah. Um, if you remember, and I can try to make a few more copies, bring this back next week because I still want us to kind of walk through this because I think it ties in with Genesis 12, what we talked about there, and also ties in with some of these things we're talking about. Um, and it's something that we have sometimes tended to neglect a little bit, kind of an understanding of the biblical covenant. So I want to walk through this a little bit next week, and then I want us to look at some examples of church covenants from other churches. But keep in mind that we're not so much looking at this as a covenant, as a series of commitments or promises that we would be regularly reminding ourselves of as we grow together here at the church. So let's close in prayer, and we'll head to the service in a moment. Lord, we thank you for this day. Uh, many good things to think about this morning. I pray that you would um, guide our church, that we would be very convinced of doing the things that you want your people to do, that we would constantly be asking ourselves, is this activity that I am investing a lot of time and effort in individually or us together corporately, are these things helping to accomplish the things that you want us to do? There's a lot of distractions in our lives today, whether it be uh, TVs for the younger, those among us, video games, uh, sports, um, shopping. Uh, many things can distract our attention, suck up our time and our money, and be an obstacle to us doing the things that you've called us to do. The same is true of the church we have to keep the building together. We have to meet some of the other obligations that we have. But Lord, I pray that those things wouldn't be a distraction from us doing what we ought to do as a congregation. And we pray that you give us wisdom in that. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.